0: Hi, and welcome to the Law Notes episode of the Legal LGBT Podcast. I'm Eric Lesh, Executive Director of Legal, the LGBT Bar of New York. We have three interesting cases from the South to talk about today. The first is from Texas, where that right-wing Judge Reed O'Connor, who never met an Obama action he couldn't undo, just invalidated health care protections for trans folks under Obamacare. Next, we'll talk about a unanimous ruling from the Mississippi Supreme Court in favor of awarding child custody to a gay uncle's surviving spouse. Finally, it's not always wedding cakes and flowers when it comes to the clash between the First Amendment and anti-discrimination laws. We have an interesting case—well, it's an interesting case, less interesting ruling out of Kentucky involving a pride shirt and a printing shop. With us is New York Law School professor Art Leonard, chief editor of Legal's LGBT Law Notes, the most comprehensive monthly publication covering the latest LGBT legal developments here and abroad. Hi, Art. Hi. How's it going? We're freezing here. We are freezing. Oh, my God. Uh, it was warm when I came here this morning, and now I understand it's pretty frigid. Yeah, ourselves. I was. I had uh, lunch outside yesterday, so here we are. Well, let's dig right in. Uh, First up, we get to talk about Judge Reed O'Connor from the Northern District of Texas. You may have heard us speak about him before, or at least someone speak of him before. He is notorious for striking down and blocking Obama-era protections. Last month, O'Connor ruled that protections for transgender and women patients under the Affordable Care Act violate the religious freedom of healthcare providers. O'Connor's ruling was not really a surprise, given his history, and of course he issued a nationwide preliminary injunction barring the government from enforcing this regulation in 2016, just as it was set to go into effect. Tell us where we're
1: at with this. Okay, this is one of those last-minute Obama administration policies you know, mm-hmm. that was set to go into effect right at the end of the Obama administration in 2016. It was part of uh I guess it's, you could say it's intertwined with Title IX and yeah. transgender coverage under Title IX because the way the Affordable Care Act anti-discrimination provision was set up, instead of listing categories on which discrimination was prohibited, they listed four federal civil rights statutes hmm. and said that uh, health care providers and insurance companies may not discriminate on any of the grounds that are prohibited in these statutes. Okay. And the statute that dealt with sex discrimination that they listed was Title IX. And Title IX, of course, uh, forbids sex discrimination by educational institutions that get federal money Mm -hmm. from the U.S. Department of Education. Uh, So during the Obama administration, as you uh, and our listeners will certainly recall, there was litigation uh, about the right of transgender students to access appropriate facilities in school and to be treated uh, according to their gender identity. Mm -hmm. And eventually, the Obama administration went on record Uh, In connection with the Gavin Grimm case from Virginia, they went on record saying that Title IX forbids gender identity discrimination against students. Okay. Uh, This was challenged in the federal district court in Wichita Falls, Texas. Hmm. Surprise, surprise. (laughs) And Rito O'Connor issued a nationwide injunction against the U.S. Department of Education enforcing that ruling. Wow. And that's been in effect for years, right? Until the, the Trump administration said, "Oh, you don't need the injunction anymore. We're not going to enforce it." So, I don't think the injunction's there anymore, huh? Because uh, the Obama administration had tried to appeal it to the Fifth Circuit, and then change of administrations and the Trump administration, you know, withdrew yeah, it. there wasn't enough so, time. So, in this case, uh, what happened was that Franciscan Alliance and a bunch of states got together and challenged the interpretation of Obamacare to cover transgender health, uh, saying that it's not covered under Title IX, so it's not covered under the Affordable Care Act either. Right. And O'Connor, of course, very sympathetic to that. He issued a preliminary injunction. And uh, there was a motion to intervene uh, by uh, the ACLU and by a local gay rights organization in Texas to try to protect the regulation Mm. And O'Connor at first uh, wasn't going to grant the motion because the Obama administration was defending the regulation. But then, uh, yeah, where does there's a change of administration? Right. But he he said that they could participate as Amiki, Okay. So they filed the amicus briefs, okay. and uh, then the Trump administration said, "Could you put this case on hold because we're reconsidering all of this?" Yeah. You know, and so he said, "Okay, I'll put the case on hold while you're reconsidering it." There were cross motions for summary judgment. But he said, I'm just going to wait and see what you do. And he waited and he waited. And somehow the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services has not gotten around yet to, to officially rescinding or, this. Yeah. Uh, so evidently O'Connor got, uh, got antsy about not issuing the decision he wanted to d- issue, <sighs> striking it down. Yeah. So on October 15th, he issued a decision striking it down. And at the same time, he granted the motion of the interveners to intervene. Mm-hmm. because he he realizes i mean he pretty made it pretty clear in his opinion the trump administration is not going to appeal mm. this ruling yeah he's done their work for them now they don't have to rescind the thing it's been struck it's okay. been vacated because yeah. under the administrative procedure act a federal court can just vacate a regulation if they find it unlawful mm-hmm. as we'll be talking about later yeah uh, with respect to the conscience mm. uh, regulation but uh he granted the motion to intervene because The only people who want to appeal this are the ACLU and the local gay rights group. So it's going to be appealed, uh, most likely, to the Fifth Circuit, but the Fifth Circuit is where (laughs) gay appeals are going to die, so we don't hold out much hope here. Uh, Mm -hmm. But as of now, uh, his ruling vacates the Obama administration regulation, but what we have to remember is that a lot of courts and government agencies have relied on it out in the states. Mm. And in fact, there's been litigation where, in reliance on the Obama administration's interpretation of the Affordable Care Act to cover transgender, uh, there are rulings that state Medicaid programs and uh, state insurance programs for their employees have to cover transgender health care as well. So those court rulings stand, right? I mean, O'Connor can't vacate those. And so there is a body, a small but growing body of case law, that embraces that idea. But that will run into a stone wall if the Supreme Court reverses the Sixth Circuit in the Harris Funeral Homes case. Yeah. Because that's, that's Title VII, but Title IX courts tend to follow, follow, follow Title VII when it comes to interpreting the meaning of sex discrimination. Wow. So we have this crazy interlocking of all these different statutory schemes that use the same words because of sex. Yeah. And so how the court decides to define that you know, is is the big And yet
0: with all of these rulings that that you're talking about across the country, to to you know, fathom the idea that G- Gorsuch thought that
1: there would be this uh uprising. Yeah. Uh well, you know, when 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 I look at that, I say, Mr. Gorsuch, what is it, seventeen states at least ban yeah. gender identity right. discrimination. Has there been a big uproar? No. But the answer to that is the states that don't ban it are the states where there'd be a big uproar, maybe the South. Yeah. The Rocky Mountain states, the states where we can't get gay rights uh, legislation passed. Right. uh, Because they're the red states. Yeah.
0: Okay, well, uh, let's take a short break, and when we come back, we will talk about a good ruling for a change. All right, we're back. And from... uh, the moment uh we saw this story in law notes, it was clear that we had to discuss it because it's a good ruling for l g b t folks well for gay folks out of the Mississippi supreme court and unanimous. this is unanimous unanimous, and this is an elected court i mean you don't get much more conservative than this. Um and yet uh, there was not a single dissenting vote on this issue. It affirmed a trial court decision to award custody of a then eight year old boy uh, to his uncle uh, who's the surviving husband of uh the boy's uncle jason uh, the boy's biological his biological uncle. Yeah. uncle the brother of his mother um is. in preference to the child 's mother um so
1: can yeah, this very, be right yeah this is this is a very interesting case i, I I'm deducing from the opinion because no biological father is mentioned anywhere. I'm deducing this is a single mother, right? And she bore this child, Andrew, who had emotional difficulties and stuff. And uh, the mother is like
0: a shipwreck. A, I yeah, mean, she had a drug coke problem. Coke addict. But, yeah. and,
1: you know, all all kinds of problems. And she just voluntarily gave up the kid to her brother, Jason. Mm-hmm. Uh, and at the time, Jason was dating David. And April, the mother, knew that Jason was dating. She knew her brother was gay. She knew her brother was dating a, a gay man. But she gave up custody of the child mm. because she felt she just couldn't take care of the child. Uh, and evidently the child particularly bonded with David. You know, they formed a real tight bond to the extent that at a later point, when she wanted to take custody back, uh the uh, the court said, but you have to allow David to have visitation because there's going to be separation anxiety. Yeah, and the the child had been seeing a psychologist uh, regularly, and part of the order was you have to continue having him see the psychologist and everything. Okay. Uh, okay. So the child is back living with April, his mother. This is after this is David died or after, uh, Jason died. Jason died from AIDS. Yeah. yeah but uh, the court dropped a footnote assuring us that David is HIV negative. Mm. Uh, so you know, serial discordant couple. So uh, David is doing regular visitation and everything, but then April starts dating this guy, Pablo. Okay. And Pablo evidently wasn't so great about the idea of this gay man, you know, who's coming to visit okay. his his girlfriend and subsequently wife's kid. But on the other hand, there was domestic violence problems with Pablo. Yeah. I mean, another mess. And then April decides. To curtail David's visitation and stop the appointments with the doctor, with the oh wow, okay, and, and the kid's freaking out, and David files an emergency petition with the chancellor in the in the local court. You know, it's the equity court, so it's the chancellor, and he says, "Look, you got to give me custody, yeah, uh, in the best interest of the kid, yeah." And the court says, "Yeah, yeah." You know, they go through this this long list of factors under Mississippi law that you uh-huh. go through. And the court decided that on balance, when you balance out all the different factors, it made sense to put the kid with David and give April visitation, Yeah. sometimes supervised visitation. Now, there was one point that really got me mad when I was reading this opinion. Me too. When, when April was struggling oh. over this, yeah. she ginned up the story that David oh, that. had abused Andrew yeah. while giving him a bath. And the explanation was Andrew had an air infection, and David was washing his hair to keep the water out of his ears and everything. He couldn't leave the kid alone to, to do a shampoo and everything because mm-hmm. of the infection. But uh, as a result of this claim, the child was placed in foster care briefly My while God. the Child Protective Services did an investigation Estigation, and yeah. totally cleared David. They said, David has done nothing wrong. He's, he has not behaved inappropriately toward wow. this boy Poor kid. who loves him so much. Uh-huh. Uh, So, ultimately, the way it worked out was David files the emergency petition, and then April's parents, her mother and stepfather, also joined in the petition, but they weren't seeking to deprive David of custody, they just wanted to be sure that they would have visitation rights. Mm. That's what they were really interested in. And the chancellor gave them visitation rights. So, when the case goes up to the Mississippi Supreme Court, first of all, the court said it was totally appropriate, given the very careful analysis that the chancellor did, to give custody to David with visitation to April, and to April's mother, but not her stepfather, because it seems that under the Mississippi grandparent visitation statute, it doesn't mention step parents. Oh, okay. So they said, "So Ron, the stepfather, doesn't get visitation, <laughs> but his wife does. So <laughs> when the kid's with his wife, once yeah. he's got, got to vacate the house. Family you know. law is so old. It's weird. It's so, so complicated. So the, the court was totally unanimous on upholding the award of custody to David, Yeah. But this is another point that was sort of disturbing. This is what I in thought you were going to talk about. I it's, thought so too.: You know, yeah. going down the list. Of all the factors one thing is the moral fitness of the parents of right. the contesting parents the, the, best, custody, interest the factors. best interest factors so he says well you know uh she's a coke head so you know the moral interest is uh, she doesn't score very well but he's an open homosexual right so he doesn't score very well either right it's sort of a tie on this it doesn't favor That's either crazy. of them and but ultimately you know toting up the whole list david won so you know no harm no foul but Two judges dissented on this point. They said, hey, just a minute. The chancellor was relying on this old decision from 1999, the Weigand case, where the court said that courts can take into account the sexual orientation of a parent in a custody dispute. And they cited, in that old 1999 case, they cited the sodomy law and all this kind of stuff about morality. Wow. And there was a dissenting opinion saying that's not relevant. Uh, So now, one of the dissenting judges here who wrote, wrote the opinion said, well, just a minute. We don't have a sodomy law anymore. Mm -hmm. We have Obergefell. We have same-sex marriage. We have the Supreme Court saying that same-sex couples have a constitutional right to form families, etc. Why is that Wigand case still there? We should take advantage of this opinion to overrule it. Yeah. But that's just two judges on the court. But, right. You know, for Mississippi. Let's
0: not hope to give, you know. For Mississippi. This is Mississippi. This, is, this that's pretty not good nothing. for Mississippi. Yeah. Or,
1: or as Tom Lehrer famously called it in his Who's Got the Bomb" song, Mississippi <laughs> I don't know that song. Oh, you'll have to hear I, it sometime.
0: Um, I also saw that they. she claimed that she was a church-going Christian. Yeah, and, and he said,
1: I'm a Christian too, I just don't go to church.
0: Right. Well, what she was saying, yeah, he yeah. doesn't go to church. Yes. And then he had to,
1: like, raise – it just seems so yeah. – it, it's it's sort of bizarre. You know, the whole checklist thing. But, you know, the the whole idea of having this checklist of factors is to have some kind of consistency at the trial court level in making these decisions that is not... Your, you know, gut reaction. I get the, that, but whether parties. someone goes to church or not shouldn't be one of them. Well, that's a plus. Yeah, right. <laughs> going to theater? church. Oh
0: my God, homosexual lifestyle. Yes, um, the, the court does refer to homosexual lifestyle. lifestyle <laughs> so. Good Lord. Well, okay, we'll take we'll take, we'll take the take win. win. Yeah. All right. So let's take a break, and when we come back, we've got another uh, state high court that we're going to talk about in the south. The Kentucky Supreme Court seems to have found a way to avoid having to decide whether a small business that produces custom t-shirts has a right to refuse an order to print a t-shirt whose message the business owner disagrees with. The case has been around since 2012. It tees up many of the same issues that we've seen when it comes to religious refusals in the wedding industry, but this time we're talking about pride marches and t-shirts.
1: So, um,
0: you know, this case okay. attracted a lot of attention then. It's this kind of was a supposed
1: to be a big deal Culture Wars case. Right. You know, uh, there were 26 amicus briefs filed in this case. Mm-hmm. For a state Supreme Court in the Midwest, 26 amicus briefs. They must have been going crazy. And you said most of them were on the most religious right. On the religious right, right. yeah. Uh, only
0: Lambda Legal on the other yeah. side?
1: Yeah, Lambda Legal wow. was the only movement organization okay. that, that was in there. Uh, so the uh, local gay rights organization in Lexington. Kentucky, was planning their fifth annual Pride Festival. Oh, wow. Okay. And Only five, huh? This, is, this was, their, well, it was 2012. It okay. was their fifth annual oh, okay. Pride Festival. And so uh, someone from the group, they, they had uh, drawn up a design for a special commemorative t-shirt, which was going to have uh, you know, rainbow circles and a big five in the middle. It didn't even say Pride Festival, I yeah. don't think. No you words. know, it's, it's just some symbols okay. And, okay. and not even sexual symbols. Right, just, yeah. you know, colored rainbow colored circles but you know they they one of the people from the uh, group uh, the gay and lesbian services organization of Lexington goes into this hands-on originals is the name of the uh, business mm-hmm. makes t-shirts and he brings in this design and the counter person looks at the design says okay you know we'll, we'll take the order uh, and we'll get back in touch with you because it has to be approved by the owners they have to prove everything the owners are a bunch of Christians who don't want to print anything that violates their religious beliefs. Right. So, but evidently, the counterman may not have even known what the significance of the design was. Mm. Uh, and it's not clear from reading the opinion whether the representative from the Gay and Lesbian Services Organization said, hey, I'm a representative from the Gay and Lesbian Services, you know. Yeah. He just came in and said, "Could we have these, you know, however many hundreds of these T-shirts printed up? Yeah. Well, Lexington, how many dozens of these T-shirts are you have printed <laughs> up? So... You know, Sorry, Lexington. So a few days later, the. We have the, a big listening base in Lexington. The guy from the GLSO calls up the store. To say, so what's going on with our order? Can you quote a price for me, et cetera? And he's speaking to one of the owners. And the owner says, well, what was the purpose of this T-shirt anyway? And he says, it's to commemorate the fifth anniversary of our Pride Festival. Mm -hmm. What's a Pride Festival? Oh, it's this for GLBT Pride. And the guy says, oh, we don't do GLBT Pride. Mm -hmm. He said, this is against our religion. We won't print a T-shirt that's promoting homosexuality. Yeah, okay. Uh, So, of course, the guy's outraged and they make a big fuss in the local gay press and everything, and a print shop in Cincinnati volunteers to do the t-shirts for free, but they file a discrimination claim on behalf of the organization. So there's like a local ordinance? There's a local ordinance in Lexington. It's actually Lexington Fayetteville uh, has an ordinance. And so they, they file a thing, and of course, the local commission finds a violation of the public accommodation provision. It goes up to the Court of Appeal, and the Court of appeal says, no, the T-shirt people have the First Amendment right not to print stuff that they disagree with. And it gets appealed to the state Supreme Court. All right. The state Supreme Court has figured out a way to duck this one. Mm. This is a hot potato. They get 26 amicus briefs and they're scared out of their minds. Right. You know, everyone's watching us. No one usually watches the Kentucky Supreme Court. So, <laughs> I sure haven't. <laughs> so everyone's, everyone's watching us. And uh, they said, well, let's, let's go back and look at this ordinance again. This ordinance says that you can't discriminate against an individual because of their sexual orientation or gender identity. But the GLSO is not an individual. It's an organization. Oh, my Organizations God. Organizations can't file a complaint. Wow. Because how can we do an analysis here if we don't know whether any of their members were actually gay? Unreal. You know, they could be a P flag type group It's full of, you know, well-meaning parents. Or wow. We don't know who these people are. How can we, how can we decide whether the plaintiff is a member of the protected class? And I really take off after them. In, in my article in Law Notes, I said, this is not a protected class statute. This is a prohibited ground statute like uh, most civil yeah, rights statutes. Right. There are no protected classes. Yeah. Same with Title VII. Right. There are no protected classes. Yeah. Everyone's protected against discrimination because of their sexual orientation or their race or their gender identity. The question isn't who's in a protected class. The question is what was the reason why they refused a service to these people. A straight person could come in and ask for service and they're being discriminated against because of the sexual orientation of the people who are going to buy the t-shirts. Oh my know. god. Did anybody
0: brief that issue, I wonder? I don't know. They just I, made this the up at the last minute. Up.
1: So so they've 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 opened up a little hole in their civil rights ordinance. Yes. there in uh, organizations can't file uh, a complaint under the local public accommodations law, only individuals. Wow. They say. And this is weird. Yeah. This, now, there was a dissenting, opi- uh, well, a, a concurring opinion. The concurring opinion said, and they had a First Amendment right not to make the t shirts. It's a concurring opinion. But I'm told by a friend down in Kentucky who's, who knows what's going on at the state Supreme Court, he's buddies with lots of people there. And he said, oh, this guy is on a temporary appointment or something. Don't worry about him. Hmm. But, you know, I, when this case went up, I was worried about it from the get-go. Because yeah. I think, uh, and, you know, when we look, look at the wedding cake cases and we look at the, uh, the other cases, we've lost the videographer's case, mm-hmm. you know, in the, in the Eighth Circuit. And we lost this case in the Arizona Supreme Court on the wedding invitations. If it's coming to a product that has print on it, of some sort, then it's not religion, it's free speech. And compelled speech. Mm -hmm. And I can see those cases on a theoretical basis. I can see those cases. It certainly becomes a lot harder. It's harder when it's a The First Amendment. When it's a a floral arrangement or when it's a catering hall. Right,
0: because when are you going to draw the – how do you draw
1: a line between what's artistic and what's – Although, you know, they're knocking at the door again at the Supreme Court to try to get one of these cake cases up there. Right. So we'll see what happens. So far, the Supreme Court has been very sparing in adding new cases to its docket. This oh, time. yeah. They've been slowly doling it out like one or two. Because they've a week. got some really big stuff. Today yeah. was the DACA hearing. Right. Um, yeah. And I, I, never and I understand that Gorsuch gave hell to the government's attorney about, you know, did they do any analysis of the reliance interests created by DACA and these kids? Yeah, did, no
0: kidding. This should you know, not be it's a very hard case. Um, Okay, great. So let's – instead of taking a break, just uh,
1: go straight into our Of Note segment. What do you have for me? And this Of Note segment, uh, which is by your request to do an Of Note about a case that was decided – during November, which we shouldn't be doing. Oh, yeah. But then last month, we, made, we broke our rules, too. So this is a, <laughs> a wonderful decision. It's just decision, such a biggie. A wonderful decision that came out on November 6th from the U.S. District Court Judge Engelmeyer here in the Southern District of New York. Mm-hmm. Uh, new York State and a bunch of other states and a bunch of organizations filed suit against the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services about the new conscience uh, rate rule that they had promulgated last May and it was supposed to go into effect over the summer, mm-hmm. but these people filed suit against it. They said it violates the Establishment Clause. It basically says that any organization that's getting any money through the Department of Health and Human Services, hospitals, clinics, insurance companies, individuals, anyone who's getting money in connection with health care, uh, they cannot require their employees to do anything that their employees feel would violate their religious, moral, or ethical beliefs. Mm, yeah. And if they do, they lose all their federal funding. Wow. That's, that's a possibility. Uh, this maybe, is
0: institutions and yeah, individuals. institutions. You know,
1: anybody who's receiving federal funds who has an employee right, who's doing health care that comes within the ambit. Massive. Uh, in fact, theoretically, uh, the way the, Judge Engelmeyer describes it, the way the, uh, the rule is written, let's say you're a receptionist in a clinic right, and someone comes in and wants to schedule an abortion you can refuse to schedule the abortion, the receptionist, mm-hmm. because it violates their religious beliefs. Or say you're an ambulance driver and you get an emergency call for someone and they say, we got an emergency call, we need to do an abortion, you know, and they guy says, oh, I don't believe in it. So or I won't pick up a gay couple. Yeah, or, or, yeah it's against my uh, religion to transport transgender people. Or right, yeah. You know, it's, it's weird. It's so far-reaching. Terrifying, yeah. And uh, it was challenged uh, on uh, establishment clause grounds, separation of powers, spending clause, due process. They just threw the book at them. So they filed this complaint over the summer and HHS agreed to delay the effective date until November 22 to give the judge time to deal with this case. Mm -hmm. And uh, cross motions for summary judgment were filed and Judge Engelmeyer issued his decision on November 6th. He said it is not a facial violation of the Establishment Clause because that would require a showing that there is no constitutional way this can be applied to anything. Okay. He said and obviously it is constitutional to require certain kind of people to be exempted from doing certain kind of stuff based on their religion. I mean there are conscience clauses in federal statutes mm. that have been upheld. Okay. So he said in an as-applied case you know, we might find that it violates uh, the Establishment clause as it's applied in a particular situation, but that's not this case. But that doesn't matter, because he found the Administrative Procedure Act is so blatantly violated by the way the Trump administration adopted this thing. Write uh, down, and, and he he cites and quotes from the Census Question opinion by Justice mm-hmm. Roberts. Okay where, you know, Roberts basically found that they made up their phony justification right, yeah. for it, that they needed the data about citizenship to enforce the Voting Rights Act. Right, yeah. It was a, a, an after yeah. He said, well, they did the same thing here. Wow. They claimed as justification for this, one of their justifications for this, they said that there right. has been a startling increase in complaints about people being forced against their will to do things that violated their religion and being disciplined for refusing and all that kind of stuff. It's it's just exploding. We've got to address this. And he said, okay. They submitted to me all the complaints they received. He said the overwhelming majority of the complaints involved vaccinations, which has nothing to do with this. People who had religious objections to vaccinations. And he said there were a handful of complaints about this, and most of them were not even under the statutes that presumably provide the basis for this regulation. Mm. But on top of that, he said, it was not clear, Congress did not clearly delegate to the Department of Health and Human Services the ability to make regulations on this subject. There are conscience provisions in many federal statutes. Ah. They tend to be narrowly targeted on particular kinds of services and things. They tend to focus on abortion. Mm -hmm. Uh, They don't specifically mention gender transition, although that's one of the sticking points here which isn't even really mentioned in the opinion. Mm-hmm. But that's one of the great fears, that this rule would create uh, you know, great difficulty for transgender people to get services uh, because of people having religious objections. And this is just, it isn't just people who work for like, Catholic hospitals or something. You work for any hospital, wow, including a public hospital. Yeah. Uh, so he, he found that it violated the APA like a dozen different ways. And then on top of that, he said, it violates the spending clause. Because it is unduly coercive to say you're going to lose all your federal funding if there's one incident of discrimination. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it violates separation of powers because he said Congress has appropriated this money. You can't just unilaterally adopt a regulation saying you forfeit all this money if you do X, Y, or Z Mm -hmm. if there's a statute that doesn't say that. Yeah. Yeah. And these oh, conscience wow. clause statutes so don't this, say that you lose all your federal money.
0: Right. So they've got problems even if HH, the, the rulemaking agencies um, uh, wanted back. to go
1: back and do this right. Right. Uh, even if they, they comply with the APA, they've got uh, those other problems. constitutional and problems. And the court didn't even really address the, uh, the due process and the privacy issues and all that kind of stuff. It didn't have to get to it. I mean, normally, if you find that a statute should be struck down. Or rather, regulation should be struck down because it violates the statute, mm-hmm. uh, with, by which I mean the Administrative Procedure Act. You don't even have to get to the constitutional issues. Right, yeah. But I think the, the reason Judge Engelmar did was because the Trump administration is likely to appeal this. So he wants to give the Second Circuit as many different grounds to uphold yeah. this ruling as possible. But it was just – it's wonderful to read it. First of all, the judge writes very well. Okay. Or his clerk. Or his clerks. I, I think he put a team <laughs> to work. I do you know them. <laughs> I, put, I think he put a team to work because this opinion is 147 pages. Yeah, seven wow. Uh, you know. I wonder who we know. Less than that, of course, in the Westlaw and Lexis prints. Yeah. But And it is out now on Westlaw and Lexis. But this is a wonderful, wonderful decision. Uh, it's full of common sense. It's full of basically outrage at the administration uh, and one thing that you can see from this and similarly the census question case in their rush to adopt politically motivated rules regulations and executive orders they don't dot their eyes they don't cross their T's they don't give a hoot for the Administrative Procedure Act they published a proposed version of this for public comment and then they totally revised the definition of discrimination for the final rule without putting it out for comment. Wow. He said, You can't do that. <laughs> you know the APA has rules. You gotta wow. comply with them. All rules.
0: right, so judges are at least still, you know, plugging along and making it. Yeah. No, I, I didn't this look up who appointed Judge Eggmeyer, but I don't think it was Trump. Okay. No. No. Um, yeah, not here in the Southern District. All right. Well, thank you so much, Art. That was a really interesting of note. Now we both got to run to a concert. Right. (laughs) All right. Thank you for listening. We'll be back next month with the next installment of Legal's LGBT Law Notes podcast. Thanks so much.